Father, this evening we just thank you. We just thank you for your goodness, Lord. You brought us into another day. You gave us life. You gave us strength. You gave us all that we needed. You brought us to your house in this evening, Lord, the middle of the week. And I pray, Father, that even as we are here today, now, and we look into your word, you would teach us. Because you are the teacher. You are the only rabbi who has the words of life. Speak to us, Lord. Teach us. Teach us things that are fundamental to your kingdom. Teach us. Because when all things are being shaken around the world, it is because your people are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, Lord, teach us that the kingdom in us may grow. Grow and take over completely our lives. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So, two Wednesdays back, we looked at, we're looking at Thessalonians, the first epistle, theologians, scholars say, that was written by Paul to the churches. And we also saw that there was a charge given in the chapter 5 and verse 27 saying, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Okay, the first letter to be written. So we saw on that Wednesday, it's there, the message and the transcript is there. And I request you, if you haven't heard, and even if you have heard, keep on hearing. Okay, I keep listening to my own messages and hear things which I did not know when I was speaking. That's how God does, okay? We are all just vessels, but he's the one who speaks. So we have to go back and hear over and over to see what he's saying. The same way we keep reading scripture over and over again. So we looked at that church as a model church where Paul says your testimony has gone everywhere. And we saw why it is a model church for churches, subsequent churches. Reason is all, whether we are an individual or an institution, we all need models. We all need role models. And our ultimate model is Christ. He's the ultimate model. Churches too need models. Okay? So on Sunday, this Sunday, this past Sunday, we looked at how faith, that is true faith, and love, true love, produces patience. Patiently enduring. Okay? Because your hope is real. And that's what we saw two Wednesdays back about this church in Thessalonica. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, scripture says, I am remembering without ceasing your work of faith. What does it mean? What does it mean? Like we saying and a preacher saying is a different thing. When a preacher says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope. What a preacher means is that this is this is a preacher who's going around preaching every place. He says, whenever I go to other churches and preach, I preach about you. That's what he actually means. Not that he's lying in his bed thinking about, no, which is there as he remembers and is grateful and he prays for them. But he's also he means is that when I go and plant other churches and mentor other churches and teach other churches, I tell them, I talk to them about you. And what is that he talks about them? The fact about their work of faith and their labor of love and patience of their hope. That's what we looked 
on Sunday. How true faith and true love will produce our patience so that we patiently hope for our salvation and for our reward when the Lord comes. The work this church did in the church and through the church was produced by faith and faith in Christ. It was not produced by guilt. It was not produced by, you know, you can produce a lot of good works by guilt. It was not produced by duty. We can produce a lot of good works out of a sense of duty. But their work was produced by faith. Therefore, they had ministries and not jobs. A ministry, and what God considers a ministry, is always the product of true faith. Their labor or struggle, effort that they exerted in the work of the kingdom was prompted by love for Jesus and others and nothing else, not gain. Your labor, your struggle, your exertions can be prompted by many things. For approval, for gain. Okay? So if your labor is not prompted by the love for God and the love for others, if you don't get that a pat on your back or your approval or gain, then you quit after some time. But it is because of the love for Jesus primarily and then his love for people, then it continues. That's why he's commending them. Therefore, they had a patience that was also in Jesus. The blessed hope, as we've been hearing the past few weeks. When your faith is true and your love is true, then your patience actually produces hope. And that hope does not disappoint us. That's a real hope. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, when he puts a cross, he puts across the whole of theology in these five verses, okay? If you want to know what real theology is, Romans 5, 1 to 5. You have been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. How do you know and how do you have peace with God? Because you have been justified by faith. If you have not been justified by faith, you will not have peace with God. Meaning, if you are trying to appease God with anything other than believing, confessing, and believing in the work of Jesus Christ, you will never have peace with God. Peace is only based on one thing. Yes, you sinned. I acknowledge my sin. I repent. I turn back. I look at Jesus on the cross. Lord, forgive me. God says you have peace with me. No other way. Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. As soon as your faith is on God, on the work which God has, grace starts flowing in. If grace to stand, the grace that brings peace, the grace that brings hope, the grace that brings everything is not flowing in, that also means our faith is not right. Grace is like power. There is plenty of power wherever it is coming from, Ramagundam or wherever. But your wiring has to be proper. Wiring has to be proper. If your wiring is proper here, then it doesn't matter. You switch on, it will start functioning. There's no problem with grace. There is grace more than enough grace. Scripture is very clear. Jesus came with grace upon grace. But he says it comes through faith. And for our faith to be genuine, this is the key. You and I need to be at peace with God. 
peace with God. And there's only one thing that takes away peace. That is sin. That's it. As soon as you have dealt with sin, the way God says deal with sin, not according to your feelings, what God says. It's only one way you can deal with sin. And the way you deal with it, God says, you have peace, grace starts flowing. And then we stand, again by faith, we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Immediately hope is gone. The minute you sin, you're not doubting your salvation, but you're doubting your inheritance. You're doubting your inheritance. Okay. A child who has promised, if you do well, you're going to get ice cream today. Because he hasn't done well, does not come and ask his father and mother, am I your child? No, he doesn't ask that. He says, am I getting ice cream? Are you getting? The problem is people confuse. You are a child of God. Okay, But when you sin, you should not lose the assurance of your salvation. You lose your assurance of your reward. That's a different thing altogether. Of your reward, your crown. And it may not mean much to us now because we are caught in the physical. But in eternity we will realize it will mean a lot to lose our crowns, our reward. So scripture says then, therefore, when you are walking in this, we have this incredible hope of glory. Whatever you're going through, you know on the other side it's a different story altogether. Hope of glory. And then verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Then we start glorying in what? Tribulations. Because tribulation produces perseverance. We saw on Sunday. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And that hope won't disappoint us. Verse 5 says... That now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it will all come back to love. That hope doesn't disappoint us at all. How do you know that hope is real? Because your heart again is back full of love for God. And you know that hope is real, I know. That's what he's talking about the Thessalonian church. It's a natural progression. Our struggle is that we are not sure. Because our hope is not real. Because we struggle with faith, with trust, with love. Do we? You see, I'll tell you the major issue with faith and love today. Today's 21st century world, especially like, the early generation didn't face it so much. The believers, I'm not talking about the nominal Christians or the non-Christians, the believers did not face it too much. Because you look at the, all the hymns they have written, you know they never struggled with that. Because their hope and their faith and their love was not in this world. It was never in this world. Their love and their faith and their hope was always directed in the person of Jesus Christ and in the kingdom to come. We have taken it and used our faith. Yes, I am believing for my breakthrough. Where? Not there, here. Which is okay. Which is fine. But then don't think that you have this hope. The woman with the issue of 12 years of blood had this incredible faith for her healing, but she had no hope of glory. No hope. The centurion had incredible faith to believe that his servant could be healed. Did he have hope for glory? No. Everyone who followed Jesus and used their faith to get whatever from Jesus for this life didn't necessarily have hope for the next. That was a different thing altogether. 
There your faith had to be directed into that life. Your love had to be directed towards God. And therefore your hope was also in that world. That's where you have to be very... That's where the theology has changed today. Where faith is completely preached and mispreached basically on getting everything on earth. And the things of the earth and the life on earth. But Paul says, Thessalonian church, no. Their hope was not in this world. Therefore they were not disappointed. If our hope is in this world, then Paul says we must be the most hopeless of people. Because we keep forgetting in this world we are in a battle. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And there are certain areas that may be relatively peaceful. Certain times, like a hundred years ago, Christian nations may have been relatively peaceful because majority believed. Therefore, there is peace. But mostly it is extremely hostile and dangerous. But victory has already been won and been promised. And God says you will experience it on the other side. And the church in Thessalonica, their fundamentals were absolutely strong. They had learned well. That's what we see in chapter 1 and verse 9. For they themselves dis- declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned from God to idols. You turned. They had turned from idols. Idols, simple expl- meaning for idols is God substitutes. Whatever substitutes God in your life, whether it is a person or a thing or an ideology, a God substitute, they had turned completely from idols to God to serve the living God. That's what we saw on Wednesday. Until that happens, our hope is not going to be real. That is the evidence of the gospel. There is a turning from and there is a turning unto. There is a turning from Idols are turning unto God to serve and start serving the living and true God. So the Thessalonian church were not going around claiming for a big house in Thessalonica and a few horses for their chariot and then to live happily. No. That was not their theology. They were living and waiting and suffering and waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we heard on Sunday. And that is the church in Thessalonica. In verse 10, scripture will say, And to wait for his son from heaven. That's what they are waiting for. Their hope is on the other side. When he comes, either when we are alive, or we meet him when he is dead. Their hope is all centered on that. Is our hope centered on that? Honestly, if you tell, our hope is still centered on this life. Which is okay. But it is not the blessed hope. If, if upon this earth, the things we are hoping for on this earth is bigger than that blessed hope, we'll be always miserable when these things don't happen. When these things don't happen. Our hope should be centered on the person of his son, God's own son. That's what they are waiting for. That's why Paul says, if anyone does not love Christ Jesus, let him be cursed. Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Because that's that's the major issue. The major issue is that our faith is not centered on the person of Jesus Christ. In so many ways, our faith, even for believing Christians now, is centered on the written word of God. So they use, pick and use words from scripture, God spoken, God breathed, to appropriate just blessings on earth. And they are not waiting for his son. 
waiting for a son. And therefore, they are miserable. Even if they have everything they've claimed comes into their life, they still are miserable. And when they don't have anything they claim, they're still miserable. Yet there are churches like this who have nothing, who are actually facing persecution and they are losing out on the world. They have this blessed hope because they have focused their faith on the person of Jesus Christ. So how did they become a model church is the question. Chapter 1 is talking about them as an incredible model in the first century. Therefore God uses this letter and as scripture and tells Paul to charge all the churches, not only then, but throughout history, that this letter should be as a instruction manual for churches. How is a model church formed? Chapter 1 talks about how this is a model church. But how do model churches arise? Chapter 2 will tell us about leadership. Model churches arise because God has model leaders. Chapter 2 is all about the leadership of Jesus, of Paul. Okay? Theologians, Bible colleges, seminaries which are faith-based, Christ-based, spirit-based will always hold on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as an example of Christian leadership. Especially in the mission field. And remember when we took take about chapter 2 as Christian leadership, these are spiritual principles. It applies to anybody. If you are a parent, leading at home, single parent or both parents, or you are leading a team at your workplace, or you are the class monitor in your class, or you are a manager in your office, or you are a leader in the house of God. These are spiritual principles, therefore they are eternal principles. So you might be thinking, Pastor, this is about spiritual leadership. This is only for you and Vijay. What are we doing over here? God says, no. This is principles you imbibe and it becomes part of your character so that if it reaches full maturity in the next kingdom, you could become a leader for eternity. At least for a thousand years when Jesus reigns. So spiritual principles are put over there. You have to remember Paul had been stoned. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He had gone through so much all because of the gospel. But in First Thessalonians you need to realize he's being slandered. He's being slandered about his leadership and his testimony. So First Thessalonians 2 was his defense to his critiques. And the Holy Spirit found it fit to put it as scripture. That all of us would learn from this man of God. So as he defended his leadership, he created a model into which all good leaders should learn and submit and become one day. Okay, so whether you are a father or a mother or hoping to get married, one day everyone will be in a position of leadership. And God says, learn from this man. Leadership is important because leadership will either make or break those who are following. Leaders will either lead forward or they will lead backward. You don't know that you can be spiritually be led backward. Physically we know you can be only, but you can also go on a leader can also lead on a retreat. Right? After January 26, we have called the great retreat. So leadership is important. And we learn from First Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. 
For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. One of the first things he mentions is that you know about us. You know where we came from. You know how we came. You know under what circumstances we came. The first thing he tells about a leader here, God tells us that leaders have to be bold and have to have courage because the days and the times are hostile always to the gospel. You can be any kind of a leader in your in your company or anywhere. You want to be a leader after God's own heart, immediately the environment turns hostile. And one thing he says is that we were bold. Leaders need what? Courage. They need boldness. They should not be afraid. They should not be ashamed of the gospel. You should not be afraid to stand up for the gospel. You should not be ashamed to speak the gospel. Leaders need to be bold. Because the mission of a leader is to take a set of people from point A to point B. To take them from where they are to where they need to be. Anytime you try to do this, there will be opposition. And every parent knows, when you try to take your infant from point A to point B, immediately you have what is called the royal tantrum. Opposition arises. You let the infant or your team or the sheep to go, they want to go, there is no opposition. But then there is no need for leaders either. The purpose of leadership is to take a set of people or even one person from point A to point B, from where they are to where they need to be in Christ. So there will be opposition. And wherever the true gospel is preached from century one till today, there is always strong opposition. If there is no opposition to the word that we preach or a preacher preaches, it's because there is nothing to oppose in it. And strong leaders will speak the truth in spite of the opposition and continue in spite of opposition. He's just got beaten up in Philippi. Remember when he's talking about his experience, he got beaten up, he was chained for the night, he had all those experiences released and then he came to Thessalonica. But most people when they are faced with that kind of opposition will give up, not Paul. He says leaders cannot give up. They need to be bold. And you need to realize this boldness is not what we call in English called Dutch courage. You know, there are other boldness which you get in bottles. Take a swig of it, you can be very bold. That's why in the army soldiers get rations of liquor. Free. Why do you think the army soldiers enter has teetotlers and come out as drunkards. Because one thing they get through the entire time of service is free liquor. They get free liquors and the worst kind. Why? For courage. You know in the old days and all when the soldier got hit by a bullet and all, there was no anesthesia and all. Put a bottle of rum in his man, cut it open and take it out. It's a courage. Which is artificial, which is not, which is not true. But here, we were bold in our God. 
This is not man, a carnal, fleshly boldness. This is a boldness that comes through the Spirit of God. A boldness that is in God. Because the leader is in God. He has a boldness that is burst and comes from God. That's what the Sanhedrin realized suddenly about Peter and John. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, Scripture says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They saw the boldness. They saw the boldness. They saw the boldness with which they spoke. You see, if you are going to go and speak to a set of, like if I am studying in class 8, class 8, if you are sent to teach in class 9, you have no boldness. But if you are in class 8 and you are sent to teach in class 7, there is a boldness because you know your one step. This is to untrained fishermen to speak to the Sanhedrin. These are the experts of the law in Israel. The rulers, they know the law backwards. And they are looking at Peter and John with boldness speaking the gospel. And they realize these are uneducated and untrained and they marveled. Where did you get this confidence from? It's not what they are speaking, also the confidence which are speaking. And they realize their boldness came because they were with Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about. You know, we spoke with boldness and our boldness was from God. He didn't know it. He didn't come from money. John and Peter's first statement is, we don't have money. It didn't come from power. First statement is that we know nobody. The Sanhedrin is against us. Herod is against us. Pilate is as if we can't make a call and ask for help. Nobody is there. Everybody is against us. They don't have money. They don't have influence. They don't have numbers. When there could be 200,000 Jews who have, or 500,000 Jews who have come for the Pentecost feast in Israel, along with all the others in Jerusalem, they have only 3,000 people with them. And they are new converts. You cannot expect new converts to do anything. So they don't have money, they don't have influence, they don't have numbers. But they have boldness because they know God is with them. That's all you need. All leaders need to know is that God is with you. And that's from where our boldness comes. That's what Hebrews 11 talks about. All these people who stood up. This is a list given at the end. Hebrews 11, 36. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, of chains and imprisonment. How did they go through it? Why didn't they quit? Why didn't they say, okay, we deny Jesus. We don't hit us anymore. Don't throw us into the jail. They were stoned. They were sawn into two. One of that was Paul. Were tempted. Was slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepkins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wanted in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Why did they go through that? Because they had the boldness of God not to deny the truth. For them to escape out of the situation was very easy. Even today, in all the persecuted nations, all they need to do. Even today, they say in North Korea, there are at least 30,000 believers in prison. One country alone. Just because they believe in Christ. And they are given the worst rigorous punishment possible. All they have to do is that, okay, I don't believe in Jesus, you are out. Why do they go? Because they have the 
boldness to stand for what they believe is true. They may be lying in a cell, but they are true leaders. They have boldness to stand for the truth. And that's what God is talking about. It will take great boldness to be a leader in the last days. Because the gospel is extremely unpopular. The true gospel is extremely unpopular. Even in so-called Christian nations. It's very unpopular. You know in Amos, what? They say, Amaziah said to Amos, Go you see flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and they prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. God is the one who called Amos and told him, go speak. But Amaziah, the king's, the king's prophet, the king's assistant says, go flee to the land of Judah. We don't want to hear your word here. We don't want to hear any of your prophecies. That we need to change and all that. We don't want to hear any of that. You go, you go to your place and you prophesy. So it has always been the same. Even within the church, when carnality or worldliness and sin sets in, the word of God will be opposed. As long as you preach a faith that is earth-based, there is no opposition. The minute your faith is directed to the coming king and to escape the judgment, the writer of Hebrews says, if the righteous themselves are scarcely saved, then what is the fate of those who don't obey the gospel? And How did we make it so simple? That's why these churches are always through it all waiting. For them their hope was real because their faith was on God. So in verse 4, there is always a strong, First Thessalonians, yeah, two, four, there's an always a temptation for leaders, okay, to be become people pleasers. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Okay? There are many preachers. It's not my call to make judgments. But there are preachers whom God approves. Only when we reach heaven, we will know how many preachers were approved by God. But one condition is given. To be approved by God and to be entrusted with this gospel, we speak pleasing to God and not to men. We thought the gospel was for man, right? God says, yes, it is for man, but you have to preach as unto me. Don't change the gospel. And the temptation of leaders always is to please people. To be popular. To make it, not to make enemies. Not to seem unloving. Unloving. But can you change the gospel? If you were to read portions of the New Testament, no covetous person will enter into the kingdom of God. All people will say, now what am I doing here? No fornicator, no homosexual, no liar, no cowardly, everything. What will you do? If you look at the list in Revelation 21, the first one, like I said about the parable of the virgins, they did not bring extra oil. And that's not a big thing for us. But it's a big thing in the kingdom. We think it is a big thing. And how many people would think the cowardly, the fearful, will not enter into the kingdom of God? How many people really take it seriously? I like illustrations given by old pastors. They say there are five boys in a room. 
Four of them drink, one doesn't. You need boldness to stand there every day, every week, every year, as long as you live in the midst of that four, not to drink. Then you will know whether you are fearful or not. There are five girls in a room in a dorm and four of them have boyfriends. The fifth one doesn't have. It will take a boldness to stand there in their midst and tell them, I am waiting for an appointed time. I don't need to be popular and be on the phone all the time. Then you will realize, you know what, that fearful suddenly has some different tangent altogether in the kingdom of God because you are fearful and you give in to the ways of the world, you are actually bartering your salvation away. It is a very simple thing for Daniel. It looks very simple to us. It's a very big thing in the kingdom of God. Hundreds, probably thousands from the royal tribe of Judah and from Judah has been brought to Babylon. It's one simple thing. I will not defile myself. He was bold. What is coming from the king's table? I don't want to eat it. Please, can I have vegetables? But to stand up, he was not fearful for what he knew was true. That step to the revelation given to Daniel about Jesus' second coming started from that step. So we will look at scripture and we will not understand the way God's kingdom functions. Little things are very, very important. Very, very important in the kingdom of God. Because they may be little now, but because we do not have the boldness to put our foot down in that little thing, one day it will take us to hell. Like, People ask from 1 John, Pastor, which is the sin that leads to death? Every sin, if it left unattended, will lead you to death. That's the answer. Okay. So the true leader is a God pleaser. Not a man pleaser. In the process of pleasing God, if men and women get pleased, he's a happy man. But he's not banking on that. Because the gospel is first bad news before it becomes good news. It's like going to the doctor. Oh, you have a tumor. (gasps) But I can handle it. I will have to cut you open. And take it out. And stitch you back. Are you willing? That's what God says. Come to. You are destined to die. And go to hell. Are you? That's the gospel. Everyone has fallen short, sinned and come out of the short of glory of God. And the wage of sin is death. But I have an option. I will take your heart out and give you a new heart and you can go the other side. But Lord, you want to take this heart out because everything I love is in this heart. God says, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's why I said, I did not say I will give you a new brain. He said, I can give an entirely new body and the old heart, you will still go to hell. I can give you a new heart and the old body, you will still go to heaven. Still go to heaven. That's how God says, the gospel is first bad news, then it is incredible good news. Therefore God says, if you want to be a true leader in your home, in your company, everywhere, be a God pleaser to the one who saved you. The one who called you, the one who separated you, the one who anointed you, and ultimately the one to whom we will all give an account. Not to your manager, to him. When it is to please God, if it is to please God, everything else falls into place. 
That's what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Because our motive is what? To please God. If it is to please man, I look at everybody and say, okay, everybody is looking very grim. Let me see how I can make them happy today. Let me change scripture. Let me talk about the woman who has been caught in adultery. Where Jesus says, doesn't anybody condemn you? No. Okay, I also don't condemn. You will all feel very bad. I am not condemned for my sin. But that's what not he says. No, our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. He says, no, it was. We didn't let any other thing of carnality touch the word that we preached. And in verse 5 and 6, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor as nor a clock for covetousness, God is witness. We didn't try to flatter you, he said. We didn't try to flatter you. Now, I'm, not, I'm not making any critique over here, okay? But everywhere I go, worship leaders will ask this question. How many of you are happy in the house of God? I will never ask these questions. If you are happy in the house of God, you must be happy with God outside. If you are not happy with God outside, you are not going to be happy. The house of God doesn't generate any particular kind of joy. David said, I was glad, very glad to go. So he had the joy before, right? Otherwise everybody will be, be prescription doctor will care. Depression, go to the house of God. Depression, go to the house of God. No, it doesn't work like that. They will come back, sit, hear the word and go back even more depressed. Where did you send me? No. When you have no joy of the Lord because you did not have it outside, because you don't have the peace of God, all the worship leader is just doing you, is giving you some exercise which you didn't give. Lift your hands, lift your place your hand, wave your hands. What is that exercise? It's not worship. It is not worship. Worship is automatic. It comes from within because you had a relationship with him outside. That is what we bring. And then when you come like that, whatever is being taught, if it is scriptural, you receive it because you realize it is for my good. It is for my benefit. So he says, I will not put any hindrance to the preaching of the gospel. I didn't use deception. I didn't use flattery. I did not use something as a cloak for covetousness, hoping for some gain from you. He says, I did not look for praise from men. If I did, I would have changed the message and make it very pleasing to the carnal ears, he says, this is true leadership. True leadership is focused towards God. What is the message that was entrusted by God into my hands? What is the message that has the power to save people? The message that had not keep man comfortable in their sins and yet shows them to Christ who is able to deliver you from your sin. That's the message. Because the gospel is life or death. There is no third option. That is why the leaders in the kingdom of God has to have absolute certainty. I was called by God and have been entrusted. Meaning God has trusted me with this word knowing that I will not change the word. Because it's life or death. Now let me tell you all this boldness and truth can make us also a Pharisee. I have boldness. I have truth. That was all of Tarsus. But 
you can end up as being a Pharisee. Then we won't be called leaders after Christ's own heart. Why? Because Christ says about himself, it is written, a smoking flax, he will not put off. A bruised reed, he will not break, hurt. So what kind of a, what kind of a leader is this who is bold as a lion, will never compromise with the word? And then, next verse, 7 to 9. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. He changes the tone. He says we are tough. We are bold in the face of opposition. We are tough in the way we will never change the word of God. But as a mother... Now, which leader would want to be? Do you think Donald Trump wants? Donald Trump wants to be called? I am a leader in the mold of a mother. Not even Hillary wants to be told. I am like a nursing mother to America. No. But this is Christ-like leadership. You know the stuff Jesus says as a hen who wants to gather the chicks under the wings. Oh, Jerusalem, I have longed that I could cover you and protect you. As a mother. What does it mean? Good leaders nurse, nurture, and care for the ones they lead. Mothering, nursing. You see, if you see these TV pictures or pictures of these famine-hit places, whether it's from Africa or Haiti or Bangladesh or India, you know these emaciated mothers, skin and bones, trying to nurse an emaciated skeletal baby. It's a picture of such such hopelessness. The mother herself has nothing to give the baby. And the baby is struggling for life while the mother is struggling for the life. You know? We see that in the physical. We see that and we feel so sorry. That is why you always tell, I hear always tell my mother or my wife saying or to all these nursing mothers and pregnant mothers, eat well, eat well, eat well, eat well, eat well. Why? Because your baby needs it. Nursing mothers and pregnant mothers need to eat well and eat healthy. Why? Because if you don't, it will affect not only you, it will affect your baby too. Because you can't give to others what you don't have. Church leaders have to feed themselves spiritually very well. Why is the church so weak? The problem is the spiritual leader is malnourished. They don't know scripture. They don't know scripture. I've been preaching different types of pastors, people in ministry the past few weeks. Not our churches, the other churches. And they were telling me everything that I spoke, which is common knowledge for all of you, they said is new. We didn't even know these things were there in the Bible. And these are leaders. They know. They don't know. They don't know. If I am malnourished in spiritual things, in the word of God, basically that's what I have to feed you. What can I give it to you to make you strong? What can I give it to you to give you, make you strong? Not that if I preach from here strong meat, if you don't eat and digest, you will be strong on its own by hearing. No. But it's my job to see that I feed myself well so that I can nourish you. 
Emaciated mothers cannot feed the emaciated babies because they have nothing to give. That's what he is talking about. We were like nursing mothers, cherishing. We nursed you. We had fed and we are nursing you. We are tenderly taking care. First we gave you the milk of the word. What did we give? Peter will say, what did we give you first? The milk of the word. But the problem is, you know what happens with milk and milkmen? They add water to it. What happens if the word of God to young believers is supposed to be milk and the preacher is adding water to that milk and feeding them? What happens? Would you do that to your child? No. But you know preachers do. Add water. Because you can't give others what you don't have. Therefore church leaders, those who are in leadership, even if it's a small little Bible study, doesn't matter, don't look at numbers. If we fail in this and get distracted by other issues, actually the church will suffer. So many issues are there in the church. What is the answer? This. You go to God and ask for any answer to any problem, he has one answer. His answer is Jesus Christ. Right? In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, you will see a situation. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over. There is an issue. Let it be any issue. There are many issues in the church, different responsibilities. So, Peter, the apostles come and say, pick seven people and keep and trust this. Why? Because we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They said, no, we will not get distracted by issues. Doesn't matter how important the issue will be because we know the health of the church depends upon our spiritual health. So we will continually give it to twofold ministry. We will be praying. We will be studying. We will be praying. We will be studying and then giving it out. Therefore, the church will become strong. Every pastor in the world were to just follow this one instruction, Acts chapter 6, 4. Suddenly, you will see the church becoming strong because the people are being fed and they're being nourished with spiritual strength. That's what Paul is saying. We were nursing mothers in your midst. We cared for you. We fed you. We strengthened you. Now we have gone. I hear the testimony how my children are walking in victory. This is my joy. Because if we get spiritually dried up, the people also, the leadership, the people also will become malnourished. If we feed mothers, you know, it's sad, but you will always hear doctors telling uh, pregnant mothers, don't drink, don't smoke, eat healthy. Why? What difference does it make if I smoke? It will affect your what if I eat all these burgers? Mother, I am pregnant. Tomorrow onwards, morning burger, afternoon burger, then chips, then ice cream. What will happen to your child? What happens if the spiritual leadership is feeding on junk? Not the actual word of God, on junk. Which, see, every child loves junk, junk because it is tasty, but it's not healthy. That's what Paul is talking about. These messages that appeal to your ears. Wow, you can see them jumping and dancing. I've seen that. Jumping, dancing, hallelujah. Oh, high fives, everything in the house of God. No change in life. Because why? The preacher ate junk, he gave junk. And junk doesn't make healthy believers. 
doesn't make healthy believers. You need to understand what Paul is saying. Why is the Thessalonian church a model church? Because it's a set of people who are strong. They've been fed well. And they have eaten well. It's not about feeding. They have eaten well. That's the actual issue. That was the actual issue in the desert. Here have been given pure manna every morning. The food angels ate. The problem is the people are used to another diet. What were they used to? They were used to fish and cucumber sandwich in Egypt. Garlic and meat. Leeks, onions. Typically, if you look at it, you'll say, what's wrong with this? The problem is this is contrasted with manna. That's the problem. If you contrast all these things with manna, you ask any 21st century teenager, what's wrong with coke? Contrast it with pure water. Water will never harm you. Never harm you. If it's pure, it will never harm you. The more you drink, the healthier you will be. The coke, the more you drink, the more unhealthy you become. Contrast. That's what happened to Israel in the desert. Finally they were tired of the manna. Yet manna was keeping them so strong. So strong. They were given actual angelic food. And in the, to us, God is giving His Son. Not even angelic food. He said, I'm giving you my Son as word. He is the word. You eat it, it can clean you. Jesus told the disciples, you are clean because of the word. It sanctifies you, can make you spotless, blameless, prepare you with absolute assurance. Not just about the crown. Forget the crown. That is also secondary in the kingdom. He says, you know what, forget the crown. You can even get the right to sit next to me as my bride. Forget the crown. You can allow the word to bring you to that point. Scripture says the word of God is held to the whole man's body. Scripture says the word of can can defeat every weapon of the enemy. So what do we eat? What do we eat? Are we getting the picture? That's what he's talking about there in Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 8 he says, 2.8 he says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. He's not as a wandering preacher. He goes there, preaches one message, takes an offering and goes. He lives with them. For three years at least, he will live. I was there among you, he says. I was there because you had become dear to us. These are not celebrity preachers where you have to see them. It's in a stadium. You need to use a telescope to see where the preacher is. Or he's on a screen. You can never meet him in your entire lifetime. I know. I know people who belong to these mega churches who have come to me and said, Oh, our pastor, we never meet him. It's not possible to meet him. He's a big man. You could meet Jesus anytime you wanted. He was a big man. Paul was a big man. He says, I was among you. Among you. No, honestly, I'm telling you, when I see the line going till the end, I'm starting to tell God that much, not more, because I can't handle more than that. I can't handle more than that. It's, you do, shouldn't have more than what you can really help. What's the point in numbers? It's good for papers. It's not good for the kingdom. Let another man take it. 
Because your needs have to be met. If the church is so full, we have three services and I and Vijay have no time to meet any one of your needs, what church is it? I know, years back I went to Coimbatore where the old pastor and he was preaching and he told me one thing. Brother, he told me, when my church crosses 200, I call some other pastor and give the rest to him. I don't want more than 200 because they need to be taken care of. 10,000 people, two pastors. What is the point? Because this is where we pick our models from. That 10,000 people had been distributed among 100 pastors whom we had trained and said, take and start your own congregation. Take care of this sheep. Can you imagine how vibrant those people would be? Instead, they are all spectators. Sunday after Sunday, they come here, they go, come here and they also feel good. I attended church. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this. He said, we lived among you because you were dear to us. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. And verse 9 says, a good leader, labor and toil night and day. Night and day. They are working hard. Because to give you a 40 minute sermon, it may take, take 7 days. This is not a lecture. That's what he's talking about. We work day and night. In his case, I'll explain if we have time. It is a different mission thing also he's talking about. He works day and night. Not for profit, but but because they see people as their glory. That's what he says in verse 19 and 20. It's awesome what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Yeah, I how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught. No, 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 not Acts. First Thessalonians two nineteen and twenty. Sorry, it's not there in that. Okay, just put it up here. Just you have to take one look at it. What these men of God gloried in? For what is our hope? What is your hope? The blessed coming of the Lord. But Paul says, you know what? My hope is my joy or crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus comes. And this church is lifted up. And all of you saying, Hallelujah, this is the moment that I was looking for. And Jesus stands beside me and Vijay and says, Look at your children. They did well, right? Like you brought them here. That's what he's saying. That's for you are our glory and our joy. Isn't that true? You go to any home where there are older parents, you will see. They have all their children's trophy and shields and certificates hanging. This my son got for one-legged race in classroom. It's like one-legged race. It's big for the father. It's big for the father. It may mean nothing to us. It's big for the father and them. Oh, this one, class 8. This one, LKG. This one. You getting it? Paul is saying, you know what? On that day, you continue like this. And you receive your crowns on that day. You will be our glory. My glory. That's what they gloried in. Understand what leadership is? You want a young man who want to be in ministry? You understand what it is? That's what he says in verse 6 and verse 9. He says, when we worked. I just heard this morning an old pastor say, it's very interesting. He says, people bring Bibles in their phone. I too have extraordinary cases, situations I also read. He says, it's good. 
But he says, ask a young man. Along with his Bible, he has got 450 chats, 500 photographs, emails, and a password. Ask him if he'll allow the Bible open without the password. Then he will know whether he values the word of God or not. What does he have to hide here? There's nothing wrong in technology. He says this, there's nothing to hide. It is the word of God, the word of God, always the word of God and will be the word of God. All these applications are good. If your heart is right, then you don't need a password. All you young people who have phones with Bibles in it, can you after the service honestly, you don't have to do it honestly, unlock it and show me your phones and let me go through it? Your history? What's the Bible doing among it? Why is the Bible placed along with that? Has it become the same? That is issues. These are issues. This is only older generation, deeply pious men of God can put like a nursing, gentle mother. They will put a cross and ruffle the young people. Be careful. Don't put the word of God, which God has said, I have lifted it, exalted above the heavens, along with your chatter and Twitter and obscenity. Don't do it, he says. Better not have that application in your phone. At least when you stand before God, you can say, Lord, my phone had your word at the exalted place or did not have it. We did not see glory from men, either from you or others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Apostolic authority was the biggest authority in the ancient church after Christ. So we could have made demands. He said, we did not make any demand. And verse 9 says, for you, remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, we might not be a burden to any of you. Said so we did. This is fundamentals about missions. If any of you young people, God calls you, understand that is fundamental. You know, when I have shared this with you, but when God sent me to Assam, then when God sent me to Bhutan, all mission grounds knew. One of the first things He tells you is that never take a pie or an offering from the people there. Never take. Why? Because your gospel should never be a hindrance. They should never ever think that you are preaching the gospel with any other motive. Never. Two years with that church over there. I took more meetings than all the pastors in the city. Every one of them. I had seven days meeting. Every day. Every night. They worked like Paul. In the college, every night I had meetings. Saturday I had two meetings. Sunday up to six meetings. Never took one rupee as an offering. So when I finished and I left and I go back now, anytime I come back, the gospel is open there because they know that man did not come for money. Understand what he's saying? This is spiritual principle established 2000 years ago in the Bible, in the kingdom. Today you go back to many places, whether it is a cottage meeting, any meeting, there will be offering taken. And I asked them, why are you taking an offering? Do you know this offering has become such a hindrance that people don't even come to any meeting because they think there will be beti? I like the Hindi word. There are two words in Hindi and Nepali for offering. One is beti, the other is balidan. I say, you are taking beti without balidan. There's no sacrifice in your meeting. You're just taking offerings. 
offering, offering, offering. Paul says, did you see? Did you see? It gives you incredible strength to stand and keep standing because you know these are kingdom principles about ministry. This Saturday we will have pastor's conference. And we've been having it for six years. We had pastors who came in from other churches, joined in with us for a season and then left. But you know something? This church, because the way the Lord told me, has never been obligated to any one of them. The pastors who come and say, your word is very hard. I said, it is true. It is hard. But did I ask you for registration? No. Did you get a good lunch? Yes. Did you get an offering when you went? Yes. So what's your complaint? You don't like the word? Don't take it. But you cannot say, I used you. Or my church used you. Or my God used you. Never. That's why last time also the month one old pastor came and said, Why do you do this? Why do you do this? He said, I've been here for so years. Why do you do this? I said, Because this is true. This is true. That's how this church has been built been built. Because scripture says in the book of promise, let your love be without dissimulation. Oh, no man anything except the debt of love. In a family there are no debts. Please understand that. There are no debts. Oh, my father owes me 10 rupees. I will smack him. Your father's money and your son's money is the same money. We are one family. We owe each other nothing. If you owe, forget it. It's a family. But outside, nobody should say, you know what? GTC owes me. Doesn't owe anybody anything. Nothing. Nothing. Why? Fundamental scripture. You go this way, you can stand and keep preaching, keep preaching, keep preaching the gospel and nobody can say anything. They will say, yeah, his gospel is hard. His gospel is tough. His gospel is very difficult to receive. But, what do we say? He doesn't take anything from us. And that church keeps on giving. Right? Abel, are you there, Abel? You don't take an offering at the hospital, no? You don't know? I'm just kidding, okay. (laughs) You see, everything. You need to realize that's how the kingdom of God is built. That is how it is built. He said, we preach to you the gospel of God without being a burden to you. Thessalonica looked at Paul and said, you know what? He's, He's a true preacher. He's a true preacher. This guy is a true preacher. Because we saw when it come to money and profit and gain and popularity and numbers, he never compromised on any of these things. We're getting the picture? How leadership is established? You really want to get into the mission? Okay, when we send from our church, we take care of them. That's a different thing. Why? Because we don't want the young ones to fall into the trap of offerings. Therefore, I tell them, you got a need, let me know. Let me know. Pastor Vijay James, you got a need, let me know. You don't have, nobody else has to know. I need to know. Because you should never be, because this is the fundamental principle of a leadership. Maybe over the years, I'm not boasting, maybe over the years, because how God has led me, my faith is here. Another man has come and joined with us in ministry. His faith is here. When his faith is here, whether it is any other, whether it is Eric or Vijay or anybody, I don't expect them to operate at this level when it comes to provision. I wait them for them to grow. Until then, I will take care of them. Once they come to this point, they will say, Pastor, I don't need. I'm fine. I've learned. 
Does Paul say, I made Timothy and Silas work along with me? No. Did I never say this anywhere? Paul was a tent maker. Scripture doesn't say Timothy was a tent maker. No. That's how it works. But that doesn't mean you should remain here always. You need to grow. So that Paul could hand the church of Ephesus one day to Timothy and say, Timothy, you run it. I'm moving to the next place. This is how it works in a family. Because the church is a family. And this is how leadership is established in the kingdom of God spiritually. In a home. In a company. Paul, in the kingdom of God. And as we close, verse 10. And we close. 2.10. Are we there? You are witnesses and God also. Now most men of God, other than people like Paul, will never say that. He will, people will always come and say, God is my witness. Paul doesn't say that. He says, God is my witness that I know. Whether you like it or not, God is all over. He's a witness to everything that we do. He's not says that. He says, you are my witnesses and God also. Awesome, right? This is a powerful statement. Because most people will say, God is my witness. He says, no, you are my witnesses. And God also. He says, how devoutly, justly, and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. What is talking there? He uses three things. Devoutly is towards God. He says a leader needs to be devout towards God. Just towards man and blameless before the world. Getting the picture? Now, Don't worry if you're getting upset. Lord, you're asking me to perfect. God says no. Grow to that. That's the awesomeness of Christ. He says, be holy or devout towards God, just or righteous towards man, and blameless before the world. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Stay as far away as possible from the world. If your neighbor, somebody comes and asks your neighbor, what kind of a man is that? He says, I don't know. I never hear him shouting at his wife, so I think he's good. On the other hand, then somebody comes and asks, this said pastor is living with his wife, and they come and ask, who lives over there? I don't know, but it is always like the Mahabharata, going over there. And in between they say hallelujah also. So I think they are Christians. No, he says blameless. Before the world. If they go and ask the Kirana shop, what kind of a man is that? He always pays his bill. Space. Blameless. It's very easy to live blameless before the world if you interact very little with the world. The problem is we want to be very active in the world and to be blameless. God says that's trouble. You see? Holy, devout towards God. Just towards man. Blameless before the world. He says you are our witnesses. You are our witnesses and God also. You are our witnesses. You need to realize first Thessalonians why God says, read it before the churches. Let people know how churches need to be, how leaders need to be. Leaders have to be tough, bold, yet be like a mother 
And if it is like a mother, our feminists would run with it and say, let's ordain all the women as priests because Paul was like a mother. So verse 11 is also written. What's verse 11 and 12? As you know how we exhorted, comforted and charged every one of you as a He was a spiritual father with a very motherly heart. Exhorting, comforting, charging them daily to walk. Worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Are you getting the picture? He cared and nurtured like a mother. But he disciplined and discipled like a father. Spiritual disciplines are not spiritual punishments, okay? Are you getting the picture? That's what he did. He encouraged. That's like a cheerleader. Come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. He encouraged. He comforted. Who is the comforter? It's like a nurse. He comforted. And he charged. That is like a coach. You know the football huddle and the coach? No. This is what. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the ball. Listen to what I say and you can do it. He says all three I was. But basically, who is the one who exhorts, who comforts and he charges? It's the Holy Spirit. Basically, Paul is saying a true leader will become a vessel for the Holy Spirit who will come and who will exhort, comfort and charge. Everyone in the church who receives it will grow to their full potential in Christ and on that day, you will be our glory. That's what he's saying. It's as simple as that. Spiritual leadership. Yeah, he said 30, we should need to stop. Right? Basically, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And people have to ultimately receive the word of God through such leaders. And it works in them. That's how the most important verse in Thessalonians chapter 2 is verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Many reasons he has for thinking about them, praying about them, thanking God without ceasing. Why? Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That's one of the reasons why I say, if you belong to this church, and if you believe from this pulpit you are hearing from God, go back and listen to the word over and over again, because it has the power to work in those who believe. You do not receive as the word of men, you receive it as the word of God. That's why I listen to my own messages. Why? Because it has the power to work in my own life because I believe God was speaking through me, for me. That's the key. It has the power to work in those who believe. You have to keep listening. Like everybody else around the world does. Six times, seven times, eight times they listen. By the time the week is over, they know the word so well and it is working in them. You come here on a Sunday, you listen, you get excited. By the time you go out, 80% is forgotten. You have to keep on listening. No? What all new gadgets and things you have? In old days, if I were to ask my grandfather what is a podcast, he would say that what you ate 
from the pod, you ate and then through cast the pod. <laughs> now it is on your phone. It's called podcast. <laughs> Everything is there. Broadcast, podcast, fraudcast. Everything is there. <laughs> okay. Why don't you make use of it? I am so back in this technology. I am learning and I am enjoying it. You know, enjoying it. I realize, you know, you can just subscribe and you look back, the messages are already there. And you don't inter- need even internet to listen to it. And I thought that is awesome. You know, and you all travel one hour, two hour, back and forth. You all have phones, you all have earphones. Why don't you listen? Why don't you listen? So that you become that man or that woman after God's own heart. And then the day comes when persecution arises like it arose in Thessalonica everywhere and churches just split and gathered in little little groups in houses. Each one of you are ready to be a leader to lead a group. That's the purpose. That's the whole purpose. The purpose is when that hour comes, every one of you should be equipped to be a leader, to lead your own groups. It's in your home, it's your neighborhood, you are ready because you were taught, you believed, you practiced and you are ready. Is Eric ready? Ready. He's ready. In the extraordinary situation he's been placed into at his age. Ready. Absolutely ready. Today two meetings already taken. Ready. Doesn't matter. All you have to be is prepared. When the time comes, God knows. Okay, you are ready. Move. Just have to do your homework. You are ready. But the day is coming. The hour is coming for this country too. Where the churches will start scattering. When that comes, you need to be bold. You need to be courageous to speak the gospel. Every one of you should be there to be a leader. Because you did your homework. And God will show up. And says, that's my servant. You are ready. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you. Because you are an awesome God. You are an awesome God. Every minute, every second we spent in your presence. We spent studying your word. We spent studying, hearing from you. Hearing from your servants. Wherever it is, O Lord. Your real true servants. Whether it is in a church or on the TV or on the internet. Every minute spent is a minute gained, O Lord. It is not a waste. It will stand its test when the hour of trial comes, O Lord. When the day of evil comes, we will know, Lord, we were ready because you prepared us and you did not leave us without a warning O God. I pray Father all these dear ones Lord among whom we have labored for years will grow and be that men and women of God's own heart who God can call, separate and send out with an hour's notice O Lord because they are prepared and they are ready. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Let everyone, Lord, as Moses' desire was, let everyone be a leader, Lord, so that others would arise and other disciples would arise. Let them all have that hunger to be in your presence and to meditate and study and listen to your word of God. Create that, O Master. Then the world will lose its appeal. The world will lose its charm because they will fall in love with the living God, O Master. There is none like you. You are fairer than ten thousand, O God. You are fairer than the lily in the valley, O Master. You are the fairest of them all, Lord. I pray, Father, that we fall in love with you over and over and over and over again, O God. O Father, 
that this hopelessness and discouragement and dismay in the hearts of these young people will just go away when they fall in love with you and know they can trust you absolutely with all their being, O oh Master. Because there is none like you, Lord. It's not just a song. It is the truth. There is no one like you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You brought us safely. We pray and believe you will take us back home safely, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.